This year, let us know how much you love us while also letting everyone around you know that you have impeccable taste in podcasts. Visit www.CoverYourEyesPodcast.com and get your very own sticker, mug, or t-shirt. Hello, and welcome to Cover Your Eyes Podcast. This week, we're talking about the movie Raising Arizona from 1987. Hi, I always mess up the introduction where I say (laughs) hi to each other. So where to begin? This is something that I saw when I was reading a little bit about it. And I think I want to like throw this in if I come across it for any movie. Siskel gave it a thumbs up and Ebert gave it a thumbs down. (laughs) Wow. I just feel like Siskel and Ebert were like such a huge part of the cinematic landscape in the 80s. Like they made or made or break. (laughs) (laughs) They could make or break a movie. And they had their own show where they just talked about movies. And so the whole country was really listening to their opinion. So I think it's like interesting to see what they had to say about these movies at the time. That's a really good point. I kind of forgot about Siskel and Ebert. Me too. Yeah. My, my mom was like, fuck the critics. Good for her. Uh, but I know that they held a strong grip. Thumbs up and a thumbs down. <sighs> Anyways, where do we begin? <laughs> so it's a Coen Brothers film, if that yes. tells you anything. It's their second film. Yes. Their first, like, big film. Yeah, Blood Simple was, like, a little noir film that they did. Their first From- film. 1984, which I haven't seen it. Now I want to watch it. Oh, it's good. Okay. I don't know about where I can find it, but I'm going to try to find it this weekend while I'm alone with nothing to do. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um. Yeah. So this was like their first mainstream kind of movie. And apparently it was like Nicolas Cage's first real mainstreamy role. Mm. He wasn't like a big star yet. And Holly Hunter, Francis McDormand. John Goodman. Yes. So a lot of the players that they return to mm-hmm. in their other movies too. But never again with Nicolas Cage, which is kind of weird. Like, I wonder why. They didn't uh, work very well together. Yeah. Because the Coen brothers have specific vision. So when you work with them, you're getting, you're working with in the parameters of their vision. And Nicolas Cage wanted to do his version of High. Mm-hmm. So, so like it ended up resulting in Nicolas Cage expressing his individuality of character through his hair becoming more wild the more stressed out he got. Yes, I read that. <laughs> that, um, because a lot of things were comparing it to like Looney Tunes. Mm hmm. Like it had a very Looney Tune-esque sense to the whole movie. And then Nicolas Cage was thinking of himself as like Woody Woodpecker. And that's Mm -hmm. why he had the Woody Woodpecker tattoo. And that's why his hair would get more crazy, like with each crazy scene. But whatever it was, it came out great. Mm -hmm. Their visions meshed together in a wonderful way. Yeah. Everyone has great chemistry in Raising Arizona. Mm -hmm. Um, I saw Raising Arizona... When it came out on video. Yeah. And my mom was really excited to see it. Oh. 
And I had never seen her laugh so hard. And so there was a lot of stuff in it that at the time that I didn't understand. Yeah. But she was laughing so hard through the whole movie that I couldn't help but also laugh. So I have really, really good memories of seeing this movie for the first time. And then later coming back to it and realizing like, wow, this is just as funny as my mom thought it was. (laughs) (laughs) That's so great. I can't picture Nana like really laughing at this movie. Oh God. That much, but she, she will say it's one of the funniest movies she's ever seen in her life. It just cracks her up. Like um, the whole thing about how everybody is stealing diapers through the whole movie. (laughs) That just like really gets her. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Oh Yeah. I'll just try to do a quick summary. So Nicolas Cage is the character. Hi, McDonough. And he's like a small time career criminal. He basically just robs convenience stores all the time, but with an unloaded gun. So it's like bad, (laughs) but not that bad. (laughs) And it starts out like he keeps getting caught. And then the person who's photographing him for his mugshot is Holly Hunter, Ed, short for Edwina. And then he like develops a crush on her, goes to jail, gets back out. He repeats the same offense, goes to jail. She photographs him and he just like keeps flirting with her and then he gets released and then gets imprisoned again for the same thing. (laughs) And so the third time, so she, then he finds out that like her fiance broke up with her. And then, so later he just proposes to her and she's like, sure. why not? (laughs) I've met you three times while I'm taking your mugshot. Let's go for it. And so they have a good relationship, but then she wants a baby like really badly pretty quickly. And Mm -hmm. then they find out she can't have a baby. She's barren. And Mm -hmm. they try to adopt, but they can't because of his criminal record. And then they can't afford fertility treatments, which, you know, I didn't even think of really people doing that that much back then, but Mm -hmm. I guess they did. So she's like desperate for a child and nothing is working so then like this really rich person who owns an unpainted furniture store <laughs> in Arizona, he and his wife end up having quintuplets and it's like, all over the news it's like the pride of the state and so they get this idea in their head that like five babies no one really needs five babies we need just one baby so i think it's fair that we take one and so By this point, Ed had already become, like, so depressed and distraught that she um, quit the force. Like, she wasn't even a police officer anymore. So she was really desperate. And then she got high to go into their house and abduct one of the babies. And then they take it to raise it as their own. The hijinks ensue, basically, from there. (laughs) There's a crazy, like bounty hunter person that's like dog the bounty hunter on steroids and dirtier (laughs) who's looking to help find the baby and then high's friends from prison john goodman and the other guy who play like evil and gail 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 and evil snoat or something (laughs) they come into the picture (laughs) i call them the pomade brothers exactly They escape from prison and then come to High's house. And then it's like Ed is not into that because she doesn't want to harbor criminals in her house while she's also harboring an abducted child. That's making her nervous. Things just get crazier from there. 
ultimately they end up bringing the baby back with no harm done. And then they follow his life like from afar through High's dreams. Mm-hmm. High's dreams are like prophetic and mm-hmm. he like foresees the bounty hunter coming after them. But then later at the end, he foresees like he and Ed having a good life together with children and a happy marriage in the future. Mm-hmm. And all is right with the world. I don't remember when I first watched it. Like, I don't think my parents watched this. And I don't think they're big Cohen brother fans until oh. oh brother where art thou? Then my dad was like nuts over that. But I remember once we rented the Big Lebowski and they like turned it off, <laughs> and they were saying that there was like so much cussing and stuff. And I was like, really? you guys cuss all the time. I'm like, <laughs> what are you talking about? They were not into it at all. So I really don't remember like where or when I first watched this movie, but. I just always thought of it as just like kind of like everyone described it as like cartoonish come to life because it's just like so bright and action packed and nonstop. And there's always these kind of just far fetched situations going on and these like larger than life characters. But then when you like go back and rewatch it, so that's what you see like as a child. But then mm-hmm. when you go back and rewatch it, it's like all of that plus all of these like deeper messages and like commentary, social commentary on politics and American vision of like the dream family and imprisonment. (laughs) I don't know. There's just like so many things that are like buried within this movie that just seems like lighthearted on the surface, but there's a lot more to it. So I really enjoyed rewatching it again. I feel like you get something more every time. Yeah. So I haven't seen this in a long time. One thing that really stood out to me, why not start with the baby? Yeah. (laughs) So Nathan, Arizona, he has an unpainted furniture store. Mm -hmm. Then through the horrors of fertility treatments, he has five babies babies who are blank slates much like his unpainted furniture and he's always telling everybody to come down to his furniture store and then whenever he has five babies he's like it might be more than we can handle the implication being come down to the baby store Granted, he wasn't actually saying, come kidnap my baby, but that's how they read it. They're like, well, he said he said it was more than they can handle. <laughs> I mean, the difference between four and five is pretty small. <laughs> so I don't understand the drive to have a baby. I can't identify with that aspect of of this movie of how Ed gets really depressed and you know she's she's basically like forsaking her relationship with her husband to fixate on the fact that she can't have a child. I don't understand that. Wrapping your identity up in your procreation abilities. And I'm sure you have even more to say. That would be even more controversial. Oh, I am this is so mellow right now. You know <laughs> yeah. I, 
I can guess some <laughs> of the things. Um, no, I feel the same way. I've, and I know we've talked about this before, but I just like really never felt a strong drive to have children either. And so luckily I'm with a husband that didn't really feel strongly one way or the other either. Mm-hmm. Cause that could be a real problem, but oh yeah, apparently um, we lucked out in that regard. <laughs> so um, I, I can't identify with that feeling either. And especially like to the point where I would let it like basically take over my life and ruin my marriage. But I know that some people do like, it's just Mm -hmm. something in them and like, that's what they want. And they know it from the time that they're children. Sometimes there are women who are just like, I want babies. I want to have a baby. And that's fine. Like Mm -hmm. the world needs babies or none of us will be here, but not everyone has to have a baby. And I know there are people who like judge other people for not wanting to have babies and say that that makes them selfish for not having a baby. And I just really can't figure that projecting much. Mm -hmm. I just feel like I know people who had fertility treatments and I know a lot of women go through it and it's like very expensive, very painful, very emotional. It's like, um, I'm just like, why don't you just adopt? But then I know adoption isn't always an option and it can take a really long time. Mm-hmm. might not work out. So that can be hard too. But yeah, I don't feel like it's a road that I would go down. But mm-hmm. some people just have this drive inside of them to like, oh, I get that's it. what they need. And they can't be like a complete person mm-hmm. until they've had a baby. I guess my question is though, what are you running from within yourself that you need to fixate on something. And I don't just mean a baby. If you're fixating on anything that is causing so much havoc in your life that you quit your job, you can barely get out of bed and you kind of shut yourself off from your husband, like whatever that is, the fixation, that seems like it's indicating a bigger problem. Yeah, I think you're right. You're being told you can't have it Obviously, that makes the fixation worse. Mm -hmm. That's a natural thing that happens. But at some point, you have to grab yourself and say, I can't keep fixating on this thing. I need to accept it and move on and figure out. And I can do that by figuring out why I'm not looking at myself. I was thinking about this in the context of raising Arizona. Like, so in a, when you have a romantic relationship, you have the falling in love stage and it's intoxicating. And I hope everybody has felt that. A lot of the time, people, you know, they have that honeymoon phase, the chemicals wear off, they start to look at the other person and go, huh, <laughs> well, now I'm with you. Maybe you're married. Maybe you're just like really invested in one another. You know, your lives are entwined. Looking at the person like, oh, the flame's really gone down in this relationship. It must be time to have a baby. (laughs) But I've known a lot of people that have done that. And then it just gets worse. (laughs) Yeah, I've definitely (gasps) seen that scenario as well. I could see that as being like a deeper reason of getting fixated on having a baby because the initial thrill wore off. 
And then you need like something new, a new situation thrown in. That's something new you can fixate on together to like shift attention from the boredom or lack of fulfillment that you're feeling in your current situation. So instead of like leaving to be with someone else, you just bring another element into the relationship (laughs) and hope that will fix it or change it. Um, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know if there are any people who it actually has improved their relationship to have a child. There could be some. There must be some. But I've never seen them or met them or heard about them. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) Now that you mention it. (laughs) I'm not saying that having a child ruins relationships. I'm just saying that if you're already having problems, like, Adding a child usually isn't the magic solution. Yeah. I think maybe it can. On a good relationship, maybe it can. Like, there are definitely people who, like, love having kids and they just Mm -hmm. keep having kids and then they, like, bond over their kids. Mm -hmm. Like, it does happen. Mm -hmm. But, which is good. Um, But, yeah. Anyways, you know what I found out recently? (laughs) What? That my dad didn't want to have any kids. (gasps) I was like, uh, what? My mom told me. What? My mom what? told me. Why? Why did know. she do that? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Did she forget you were her daughter? <laughs> what the fuck? I know, we were just talking on the phone and like somehow it came up and I was like, oh, all right. What? <laughs> and they like almost like broke up over it. I'm so sorry. It's okay. It doesn't bother me because oh, okay, he's like a really good dad and he like still oh, okay, is a really okay. good dad. Good, good. So that's why it was just like really shocking to me of like, I definitely felt very loved and like he always played games with me and like he still always does things to take care of me and mm-hmm. like he's really great. So yeah. um, it doesn't bother me to hear that he didn't want kids. <laughs> I never felt it but I'm just surprised and I actually think it's kind of cool Mm. that he didn't want kids for a while I don't know if my brother knows (laughs) (laughs) well you know what's interesting about this is in raising Arizona all of the people who encounter Junior the baby who gets kidnapped and passed around Mm -hmm. between various criminal elements um, none of them wanted a baby either. But when they got their hands on the little guy, uh-huh. they couldn't help it. He melted their hearts. Yeah. Made them not feel so alone in their desert landscape of toxic masculinity, which is what all of these guys are trapped in. The desert, just like a dry and rocky place, much like Ed's womb. <clears throat> That's one of my favorite lines from the movie. <laughs> Even though she looked as fertile as the Tennessee Valley, her insides were a dry or a rocky place where my seed could find no purchase. <laughs> I feel like that made me think of me because I have like a lot of fibroids I recently found out and like endometriosis. So I probably couldn't have kids anyway, mm-hmm. but I never tried. But if I had, mm-hmm. I would have a rocky place where the seed could find no purchase. Oh, <laughs> I like that line. 
<laughs> oh my god there's I'm so many good lines dishing out like this. a lot of personal stuff right now yeah <laughs> probably no one wants to hear about fibroids and endometriosis but it happens to a lot of people so someone out there is like oh my god i feel that way too hi who is a criminal who's changed his life for a lady so he's starting to break a pattern and he has this um rebel inside of him whenever he gets stressed and he feels like his life is out of control in some way he robs a store as a stress reliever and to regain control and if you think about like what men are told they're told that they're entitled to property and objects for no other reason than that they exist and that they demand it. When people people throw around the term toxic masculinity all the fucking time, what it to me when I hear it, I think of the man who feels entitled to whatever he wants, whenever he wants it, for no other reason than that he exists. And hell or high water, no one stands in his way. Mm-hmm. That's also the rebel as manifested in Smalls, the bounty hunter, or the tracker, as he calls himself. My hypothesis is that Smalls, the tracker, is actually the rebel archetype running amok within High until finally, in the ultimate battle, blowing up the rebel within himself. Yes. As indicated by the uh, tattoo that he realizes during the fight with Smalls that they have the same, like, Woody Woodpecker tattoo. Yes, that makes total sense. That was, like, very strong. And then I also felt like that's related to the general battle that's happening with the Pomade Brothers Gail and Evel, who both have names that are very feminine, they are, like, constantly trying to express their masculinity through their greaser hairstyle. And they're like, Mm -hmm. I don't give a shit cool James Dean stance. At one point, Evel is, like, basically says, if you don't breastfeed... Your son's going to hate you, and then he's going to end up like us, the jail birds. Yes. And he said that that's what he learned from the psychologist in jail. (laughs) (laughs) And that's just like another instance of toxic masculinity of the man telling the woman, like, what she should be doing with her body and what's best for her. Mm -hmm. Like, he knows. But also women do that to each other, too, unfortunately. You know how kids behave badly and people say, well, he just doesn't know the difference between positive and negative attention. And a lot of times as a last resort to get their parents' attention, kids do behave badly. Mm -hmm. And... So, like, when a kid's behaving really badly, you can be like, well, why is he so desperate? Like, that's really what I think of when I hear of a kid doing something bad, you know? Yeah. And so the brothers, 
Gail and Evelyn, I mean, Evel, Gail and Evel, <laughs> they clearly stay, it's like clearly they don't like their mother. Their mother neglected them. She did not give them her milk. Mother's Once milk the, comes up so often. I know, I was like, <laughs> every what? movie <laughs> And they acknowledge that. And then they keep doing things. They keep getting negative attention from their new mother, who is the state mm. that is putting them back into the womb of prison mm-hmm. over and over again. And then, like, when they were coming up through the mud, <laughs> yes. it was like they were being birthed. Out into the world. Yes. And then they had to, at the end of the movie, they went back into the hole that they came from. So they crawled back into the womb for a longer incubation period. Exactly. Because they weren't ready to be out in the world yet. And ultimately, whenever you feel deep inside that you're not getting, when you don't feel the love that you really need to feel to feel nourished when you're really small, then you act out in more and more criminal ways, which are encouraged by everything in our culture as it's wrapped up in the rebel archetype. The ultimate victims of that are Gail and Evel because they keep being ultra masculine and taking what they want. They commit robberies. It's a cry for help. And then when they are with junior the little boy inside of them awakens because they feel they finally feel unconditional love that they always wanted as when they were a baby Mm -hmm. through junior because junior is a baby and of course babies offer unconditional love so yes that was a very sweet part of the movie (laughs) when they were taking junior to turn him in for the reward money right it's nothing personal we're taking the baby. We're going to get the reward money. And really, like, they're actually doing the right thing. Yes. <laughs> Returning the baby to its real parent. <laughs> right. And then they're going to benefit by getting this money. So it's like a legal way for them to actually make money instead of robbing and things like that. But, yeah, and then when they're driving and Evel's holding the baby and he was like, Gail, he smiled at me. <laughs> and he just like fell in love once the baby smiled at him. It was so sweet. And he gave him a big hug. And then they accidentally like left him on the roof of the car when they drove <laughs> off. <laughs> when they were escaping so like, from the bank they robbed or something. <laughs> then they both were freaking out. And when they finally got back and they found he was safe, they were like, we're never leaving him again. He's going <laughs> to stay with us forever. Like they decided they wanted to keep him. <laughs> so cute. And they, when they, I, my favorite, I love how they were screaming in horror the whole time when they realized that he wasn't in the car. Yeah. And it was just like, these two guys are so sweet at heart. I love them. I love John Goodman. You too, so (laughs) much. I do. I feel like, um, like looking at him in this movie also, like when he's younger, I feel like he's cute. I think just because I love like Dan Connor so much and he yeah. always plays like a character with a big heart. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I like he's, almost found him cute. <laughs> he's got a twinkle on his eye. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty special. He's pretty special. I think so too. I ran into him in the airport one time. <gasps> did you grab his butt? I did. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. 
was very nice. Mm-hmm. So I got to like briefly meet him, which was mm-hmm. cool. So they say don't meet your heroes, but mm-hmm. nothing bad happened in the brief encounter that we had. <laughs> so to me, and I think a lot of Coen Brothers movies are like this. A lot of their movies, they have people who are speaking in like exaggerated Southern accents, which automatically in our culture makes someone sound dumber, even though that's not fair. But that's just like the stereotypical accent someone will use if they want to convey like lowered intelligence. And it's not right, but that's just the way that it still is even in our culture. So I feel like in this movie, everyone has like the exaggerated accents, like Holly Hunter. That's her real accent as far as I know, because she always talks like that. (laughs) And I love it. But the other ones are more put on. And so the things that they're saying are like, it just makes it even better because they're speaking in like such, it's like prose. I feel like these movies (laughs) are like an epic. It reminds me of like the Iliad or the Odyssey or something like that. And then like the side characters are like a Greek chorus. And so everything they're saying is like really brilliant and profound, but it has like a lighthearted feel because they're speaking it with these accents. And so if you get past the accent and really listen to what they're saying, it's like, man, that's good. <laughs> that's wow. how I felt about it. Totally. <laughs> yeah, you're right on about that. Imagine like this yeah. movie if someone if they all had British accents. It would be like oh, a God. whole other feel. It would be so highfalutin. Yeah. You'd be like rolling your eyes every couple minutes. Exactly. <laughs> I would like to see that and just see how it played out and like how it changed the feel of the movie. We could do a, a dramatic reading with British accents. <laughs> <laughs> Only on Patreon. So <laughs> yeah, we'll do that for Patreon. <laughs> there are just so many great lines. Like it's so highly quotable and all of that when they break out of jail and then ed's like you guys escape from prison and they're like we released ourselves of our own recognizance (laughs) 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 and then hi is like trying to defend them and he's just like they just felt that prison didn't have anything further to offer them (laughs) (laughs) it's just so funny i know it's so good. <laughs> it starts out in the movie wherein High is like, I think it starts out with him robbing a convenience store. He really feels like he doesn't have a choice because of the economy. And he says, like, I tried to stand up and fly straight, but it wasn't easy with that son of a bitch Reagan in the White House. <laughs> I know. <laughs> they say he's a decent man, so maybe his advisors are confused. <laughs> and so just like, yeah, during the Reagan era, there was like a huge, a growing divide between the rich and the poor. Mm-hmm. And it just kept getting worse. So a lot of people did have like desperate situations. And then also that's when like the war on drugs really ramped up the Anti-Drug Abuse Act of 1986. So then there was like increased incarceration rates for nonviolent crimes, mm-hmm. which highs was like almost violent, but the gun wasn't loaded, but still it was an implication of violence. So that's bad. But like mm-hmm. drug crimes. So Ooh, the scary monsters. Drugs. And now drugs are like on every corner legally. <laughs> it's just so crazy how like, Lives were ruined over pot. Mm-hmm. Like so many lives were ruined. And now it's just like, oh, everyone's making money off of it. And now the government's making money off of it too. So it's mm-hmm. fine. And there's still people sitting in jail with marijuana oh sentences. 
yeah. in the very states where it's now illegal. Mm-hmm. That has got to change. It's changing like very, very slowly, mm-hmm. like one case at a time. And it usually just be like a big sweep. Exactly. Just like mass pardon. Yeah, mass pardon. Exactly. The thing that I didn't realize and then I keep forgetting is that Ronald Reagan's slogan was let's make America great again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh my god. Well, you know he's just 2.0. Yeah, so this movie has just like, you know, that's like the political and social commentary that's like blended into this like seemingly lighthearted thing. And then one of the things like cuz high keeps going back to jail, back to jail mm-hmm. and then they're like we've got a term for this it's recidivism and high is just like i promise i won't do it again and like i think he really means that he won't do it again but then he just gets back out there and he doesn't have a choice like so many people when you do have a record then you can't get a job and then you don't have a choice but to do it again then like one of the things High said was um i don't know how you come down on the incarceration question whether it's for rehabilitation or revenge but I was beginning to think revenge is the only argument that makes any sense. <laughs> exactly. I was just like, man, there are so many little like treasures. Thanks for like pointing that out. My pleasure. I really wanted to talk about the Polish joke alert. Oh, because my gosh. do you, do you recall from a while ago how many producers does it take to screw in a light bulb? That I wrote on one of the episode descriptions. Uh, in, yes. In reference to stupid Polish jokes. Yeah, because we had a whole discussion about this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So then in the movie, he's got the guy's got a Polish joke and he starts telling okay, this is so great because he starts with how many producers does it take to screw in a light bulb, but with the Polish. And then mm-hmm. he does not tell the joke right. Right. Too stupid to remember how the joke goes. Yeah. So you never hear the end of the joke. And that's the joke. And yeah. it's the only commentary that's needed on Polish jokes or any kind of joke insert the group of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was good. I mean... I love the Coen brothers so much. But would you like to hear uh, how many producers it takes to screw on a light bulb? Yes. Three. One to hold the light bulb and two to turn the ladder. Uh-huh. <laughs> producers. <laughs> yes. That was good. I'm glad they called attention to how stupid <clears throat> ethnic jokes are. Or producer jokes, for that matter. Or producer jokes. <laughs> Isaac had a great point. Oh, have you wow. ever have you ever seen a Christmas Vacation? Like Are you this? kidding? Okay, yes. you know you know Randy Quaid's family. Yes, Isaac's like this is totally the prototype for Randy Quaid's family in Christmas Vacation. Exactly. His Did box, this come first? Yes, this came first. Whoa, it's exactly the same. Yes, good call, Isaac. Uh, I should always watch movies with him. Mm-hmm. I can steal his ideas. It's good. <laughs> You're married, so his <laughs> ideas are your ideas. <laughs> right. Yeah, I basically own him, right? 
Yeah. That's why you <laughs> no. got married. <laughs> no, please. Um, we're talking about High's boss. So that's the other thing. Whenever you were talking about how he doesn't have opportunities because he's committed crimes. And so your job opportunities are limited mm-hmm. when you get out. He gets a job and his boss sexually harasses him. Yeah, I guess you could put it that way. I never I thought mean, of it like that, but I mean, it, he's basically saying, "I want to swap wives with you, mm-hmm. and I'm your boss." Yeah, that does put you in an awkward position. I mean, that's sexual harassment. It's true. Or high punches him, and then when he runs away, he runs into a, a tree. <laughs> <laughs> Or post his nose or something. And, yeah, mm-hmm. and he gets really hurt. And then, of course, he's fired. But, I mean, Hi wouldn't have done anything to him if he hadn't suggested, hey, why don't I uh, fuck your wife? And, <laughs> but, I, but I guess what I was thinking about with that is, like, even when there's sexual harassment, it's like, it's a guy. And I liked how um, his boss, every, every move he made with his body was like a gesture of aggression. The boss's wife is like, want, he keeps having babies because they get too big to cuddle. Yeah. And then she has to have another baby to cuddle. So then when they discover that Junior is Nathan Junior, they want to take him as well because the wife needs another baby to cuddle like a plaything. it like reflects back to neglect like motherly neglect and how all of those kids were acting out and misbehaving because their parents weren't paying any attention to them and so i guess like the what i'm getting overall from this is that we instead of just saying people are bad when they commit crimes we could look at why are they crying out for attention and what help do they need? And whenever a man is running because he's stealing diapers, shouldn't we be asking why does he need to steal diapers? Yes. If we're so pro-life, why does a man ever need to steal a diaper? Why aren't they just there for the babies that we all love so much, Ronald Reagan? <laughs> Gotta get your dip tit. <laughs> oh my god that was my favorite part too was <laughs> evel the brother when she said like um ed said i'm gonna go into town and see about shots for the baby tomorrow and you guys better be gone and he was like you gonna see about the dip tit <laughs> <laughs> so dr spock oh yeah is like the owner's manual for the baby and everybody keeps coming back to steal the dr spock book yeah <laughs> to take with the baby He's like, I grabbed the instructions. Yeah. <laughs> As a baby. <laughs> I wonder if anyone's actually read the whole book or they just like have it and they just feel like comfortable having it. Right. And feel safe. It's like a security blanket whenever the brothers burst into the bank. Everybody freeze and get down on the ground. And then the farmer's like, well, which one is it, young man? Do you want us to freeze or to get down? <laughs> and he's like, I can't rightly freeze. If I'm getting down, because then I'd be in motion or something like that. I love that so much. When I was a kid, the farmer saying that always stuck out to me mm-hmm. as like 
just one of the funniest things. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, I don't know why they're fucking with farmers because farmers are wily. <laughs> like, and then that Jane Hockey, who the the bank teller, oh, puts the pain in the. The pain mm-hmm. explosive in the bag. I just liked that they very specifically showed her name Jane Hockey. Oh, I didn't notice. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the bank is mm-hmm. like called a hayseed bank. But <laughs> was it really called that or they just were referring to it as I, that? Maybe it is because it's like a farmer's bank. Maybe they all yeah. grow like uh, that sort of like bulk, like feed crop, like they're monocroppers or something. Oh, yeah, so that was like another political type thing that was in the mm-hmm. movie because the Snow brothers were saying how they like heard about this Hayseed Bank from one of like Richard Nixon's ex advisors or something that was in prison <laughs> for sexual <laughs> harassment. <laughs> so it was just like another example of a politician like still screwing over the little guy, like even from inside. Yeah. And then I think it's so good because like the Hayseed is just like a demeaning term for like a country person or a farmer and again especially if they have a southern accent then it's just like oh you just assume that they're dumb and it's so wrong you shouldn't be that way but people do and then so i thought it was really good that they all of the quote-unquote hayseeds like completely outsmarted them they were intelligent and hilarious you know how a lot of liberal people um, i most certainly identify myself as being I, not a, I'm not a Democrat, but I definitely think of myself as being very liberal in my mm-hmm. thinking. But I notice, like, whenever um, people will uh, mock Southern accent, use it as an indicator of stupidity, it's an automatic, uh, you know, um, indicator of I'm making this character stupid, so you mm-hmm. get that. And then, um, like you were saying, and then also um, these terms like white trash, redneck, um, what are some other ones, you know, um, that I've heard? Hillbilly? Hillbilly, yes. That's the one I was trying to think of. But really what they're talking about is poor people. I also, you know, grew up with my mom telling me that Southerners were horrible because they're racist mm-hmm. and stupid i mean she would like say she'd be like don't go to the south like as a joke kind of but not really and i think she was like scarred by like the racial violence during the civil rights movement sure. i think that really messed her up and so she had really got a very strong like the south sucks and don't go there because they're all horrible so that's something I've examined for myself. And when I look at that within myself of those assumptions I've made about people who have accents, Southern accents, or that present a certain way because of their socioeconomic status that I associate with um, the particular like prejudices I have around those indicators it helped me understand how people growing up in an environment where white superiority, I have huge quotes around that, is like 
somehow like a natural thing because of the way the people around them talk. And then they don't examine their own beliefs. I'm not, obviously I'm not saying that the two compare at -hmm. all. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that it can be a good exercise to help understand so that you're not just demonizing people for being racist and going, well, you're just automatically bad. Because mm-hmm. there's a lot of stuff going on underneath that that's fear related, just like how whenever you watch Deliverance, the movie, you decided that everybody that lives in a mountain town in the South is an inbred idiot who's going to rape your butt. Jeez. <laughs> Not me personally. Right. You in general. <laughs> yeah. Because, like, that's the impression that people mm-hmm. have. You know, you hear that banjo music. Right. Clench. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Everyone needs to examine their own prejudices and the root for it. No one should have them in either direction. But the other thing is you see the backlash of that belief in the Fox News MAGA people. Mm -hmm. Because they're the backlash against this, like, working class people are idiots bullshit that was weirdly decided in America was going to be the thing. That everybody had to have a college education and be some kind of an intellectual professional who likes to buy all the shit. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And if you're not that, then you're a moron. And like people, there are people that are gifted in labor oriented ways and that can be nourished because those things, those skills are of the utmost value. And not everybody is supposed to be an intellectual. Have you ever gone to a fucking college party with a bunch of philosophy majors? No. I have. It sounds horrible. It's both fascinating and incredibly irritating. If everybody <laughs> was like that, oh my God. <laughs> so did you notice High's boss's bumper sticker on his car in the background? It says... <laughs> Caution, I drive naked. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Perfect bumper sticker for a swinger. Totally. (laughs) Yeah, I took a picture of that, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. (laughs) I mean, I think my favorite. (laughs) There's so many. There's just so many. There's like a hundred good quotes. Yeah, that's like the whole movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I I thought the quote though that I was like, no, this is the quote that really sums up the eighties was when Gail said to Hi, "Well, Hi, looks like you've been up to the devil's business." Because <laughs> he had a baby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, that sums up the eighties for me. Gosh, what question do you think? Oh my god. Why do I always do this? No, I like it. I guess it. I'm just going like to keep doing this. I'm like, I'm surprised every time. Me too. I'm like, what's the question going to be? Like, oh, wait, we have to think of a question. Yeah. <laughs> um, should we have a question about if you ever, like, really wanted a baby and any drastic thing that you did to get one? 
No. Is that too scary? I don't want to know. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> let's see. How about, like, let's ask if you've ever been in prison. Ooh, yes. I would love Why? to. Why? Yes. What happened when you got out? Was mm-hmm. it difficult for you when you got out? And did that lead you into circumstances where you ended up going right back in? Or did you feel like you gained any benefit or any rehabilitation while you were in there? Or was it just purely punitive? That's a good question. How's that? Okay. <clears throat> and then on a on a maybe lighter note, potentially <laughs> yeah. lighter note, have you ever been propositioned by swingers? Oh, my God. Yeah. I know I have. <laughs> I know I have. <laughs> yeah no that's a better lighthearted question <laughs> yeah so if either of those situations have happened to you or if you were propositioned by swingers in prison or <laughs> some combo of the two events please let us know oh at cover his podcast at gmail.com or you can direct message us on instagram <laughs> If you've been propositioned by swingers in prison, <laughs> that is wild. It is wild. If that's happened to you and you write to us, I want to send you a gift. If that's happened to you, you should be like writing a book, not just an email to us. That's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go watch Blood Simple. Nice. See what that's all about. Yeah. Have you seen the Hudsucker Proxy? I haven't seen that either. Oh, my God. I love that movie. Okay. That's the other thing that I saw was, like, they already had the idea for that movie in mind, like, when they were making this. And then, like, the overalls for the place they work said, like, Hudsucker operation or something. Uh Uh-huh. That's cool. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. I'll watch one of those, too. Rate, review, and subscribe on Apple or wherever you listen to podcasts. Or my name ain't Nathan Arizona. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Bye.